don't you grab a Bible uh, or turn in your app to 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14. We're going to start in verse 26. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a black hardcover in the seat in front of you. And as you're turning there, would you please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. We're going to stand and read 1 Corinthians 14, 26 to the end of the chapter. Please make your way there. And I will read aloud 1 Corinthians 14, 26 through 40. The Spirit of God inspired the Apostle Paul to write these words. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came, or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently and in order. Whoo boy, here we go. Let's pray and ask the Lord to guide us as we study this passage today. Lord, we need your help, so we stand before you right now and ask you to send your Holy Spirit to illuminate our eyes, our minds, our hearts, that we might see what you have for us. Lord, you've spoken, and we want to hear, we want to listen, we want to apply. Lord, I pray that you would guide us into all truth this morning. Lord, help us to figure out how to wrestle through this passage. Lord, we thank you that you have indeed gifted all of us who are Christians, who are followers of Jesus, and that we have these gifts not to be stashed away, um, but Lord, to be used for the common good to build one another up. So I pray, Lord, that even this morning that might happen. And Lord, teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Evangelist D.L. Moody uh, one time was leading a service and he asked uh, a brother there to pray. And so taking advantage of his opportunity, you may know someone like this, the man prayed and prayed and he prayed and he prayed on and on and on. So sensing that the prayer was killing the meeting (laughs) instead of blessing it, Moody spoke up in the middle of the prayer and said, while our brother finishes his prayer, let us sing a hymn. (laughs) This... (laughs) This is uh, a quite practical application for the passage that we're studying today. Um, No doubt you have been in the presence of someone who's prayed like that. No doubt some of you are the ones who pray like that. And we still love each other. 
Now, this illustrates for us the, the need for um, order, the need for deference to one another in our worship gatherings. When we assemble together, when we come together to worship the Lord, we come with different bra- backgrounds. We come with different levels of sleep the previous night. We come with different levels of um, experience during the week. We come with different expectations. Perhaps we come for the first time. All of these and more need to be taken into consideration when we meet together. And this is Paul's point here as he kind of wraps up um, his discussion of the spiritual gifts. This is where he gives some general rules and regulations to help us know how and how not to speak or speak up. And so this is uh, very helpful for us. Now, uh, Paul's not going to outline a liturgy or a serv- an order of service. Um, so it is totally okay, it is fine that different churches, perhaps different churches that you've been to recently, do things in different orders. Um, but the issue in this passage is order. And, and also don't forget, if you have your Bible, why don't you just flip back or maybe look across the page at chapter 13. Paul often does this, and he's done it in First Corinthians several times, but he, he sandwiches um, his topics. So in chapter 12, we were introduced to the gifts and this talk of the body. Um, in chapter 13, it transitioned into love while not leaving the topic of gifts, but specifically talking about how love is to inform and instruct our use of the gifts. And then chapter 14 is the other part, the, the other loaf, the other piece of bread of the sandwich that helps us to understand the spiritual gifts. But what's most important then is how Paul frames this. And so it is not by accident that love was placed right in the middle um, of, this, of these passages. And so we ought to remember that, that love is casting a long shadow over chapter 14. So then all that we talk about here, we cannot, re- we cannot forget what Paul has previously said. And of, of course, um, Paul didn't put these verses and these chapter numbers in here. He wrote a letter. Um, if you use chapter and verse numbers in your letters, that's cool, but um, that's weird. But that, it's all right. That's helpful organization. That's not how Paul did it. And so this has been placed upon the text. And so this was a letter to the church at Corinth. And this is the flow of the argument. Uh, no doubt, as you notice, as reading out, we've got some tough things in this passage that, passage that we need to talk about. So uh, let's dive right in. Uh, point number one in your notes, how to do all things for building up the church. How to do all things for building up the church. This is where Paul starts, and yet it's not where he started, because last week Pastor Ron pointed out that a phrase very similar to building up has already been stated twice in this chapter. So Paul is returning to those things. He's, he's repeating these things. Um, you remember when you were a child in school or in your home, um, the things that you were supposed to learn that were most important, your parents wanted to tell you, were repeated and repeated and repeated. And the way that we learn how to do things is by repetition. We repeat things, we do them over and over again because most of us don't get it the first time or the 27th time. And so we need to repeat. And so Paul repeats this refrain of building up. What also is interesting is we get a glimpse into the Corinthian worship service. Uh, So right there in verse 26, Paul uses uh, a very normal phrase that he uses throughout his letters. He says, what then, brothers? What's the point? How do we wrap this thing up? He he does this often um, in his other letters to other churches. And so he's saying, okay, so all that I've just said, all that I've just talked about, all that is wrote, what about it? How do we wrap this thing up? 
He says, well, when you come together, and that's a key phrase, because this is speaking of the worship gathering, the assembling of the believers. Um, This is the context in which this is specifically uh, talking about. So in the public worship service, when we have come from our various homes and we've come to this place, or in um, the town of Corinth when the various people house church to meet, they came and we see a glimpse that each one has a hymn. Now, again, this doesn't mean that if there were 14 people there, that 14 people came with 14 hymns or that there were 14 lessons and 14... They they didn't have that much time. (laughs) But the point is, in each, is to say what has already been said in chapter 12 and in 14. Is that this is, that God has gifted everyone in the church. So that each one has the opportunity. Each one has the ability or the gifting to contribute something to the worship service. So that word for him is where we get the word psalm. Um, And it's, it's possibly another gift. Some have maybe said this is, points to a gift of music, of leading um, in song. Um, it, it perhaps may mean that some come with song suggestions. Um, whatever the case, this lines up with New Testament worship and that included singing. Um, Paul says this in the book of Ephesians, in the book of Colossians. We see a lot of singing in Revelation. Um, as the church comes together, one of the ways that we worship is that we echo the ancient Israelites and we sing together to God and to one another. The word there for lesson, the next one, is just teaching or instruction. Um, this is probably more of a short um, homily or a devotional thought. Um, as opposed to a message or um, a long-term preaching or teaching scheme or um, series, as we might think of it. The next word is revelation. Uh, This might be the same thing as a prophecy. Uh, Whatever the case, it it, it speaks to God um, revealing, um, revealing himself. The word in Greek is apocalypsis, where we get apocalypse from it. There's a revealing of truth. And so that is shared in the assembly. Uh, tongues, a, a tongue, uh, would be another language. Um, or an interpretation would be an interpretation of that tongue. So we see the diversity and the variety of the Christian worship service. And this is important to uh, remember as we come together on Sundays, is that we have a variety of things that we can do. We have a limited space and limited time in which we can do them. But variety is important. It gives people the opportunity to use their spiritual gifts. And wrapping that verse up, Paul reiterates, let all things be done for building up. And all things here in verse 26, look down at verse 40. So all things in 26 is going to correspond to all things in verse 40, which shows you Paul's lesson. He brackets it. He starts it with saying all things, and he ends it by saying all things. By the way, just, just so we're clear, all things includes, okay, good, <laughs> everything, right? All things um, are to be done for building up. Everything that we do when we gather together is to be done for building up. That should be our aim. That should be our goal. That should be the end that we're trying to get to. So when we consider our Sunday morning gathering, We're planning songs and announcements and missions connections and preaching and prayer and baptism, the Lord's Supper and baby dedications and on and on. Well, what percentage of these things should be done for building up? 
100%. All of them should be done for building up. So this morning we had the opportunity to have the Stilsons and the Peters come up. Um, and that is meant for a mutual building up. In fact, uh, Pastor Ron has built into that child dedication where he turns to us, the congregation. This is not merely for the families that were up here. This is for the congregation. This is for the assembly. This is for those who have gathered to worship. And so this also plays against our modern American individualism. What am I, what am I going to get out of this? Right? We're, we're pragmatic. We're very pragmatic. Okay, why should I do this if I'm not going to get anything out of it? What am I going to get out of it? What's my, what's my goal? How do, I, how do I get what I want out of this thing? How do I help myself in this? One of uh, the commentators this week said this, Worship, Paul emphatically insists, is not just a time for private spiritual blessings, although it is that. It is a time for the members of the community to share with each other God's gifts so that all may learn and be encouraged. This is the point of the worship service, which, if you'll notice, is worship, and it's about service. This is what we come to do. So, what do we think about when we think about our, our, our service on Sunday mornings? Well, we actually have software at Village Bible Church um, that we use to schedule people and to put people in order. Who's doing announcements this morning? Oh, I don't know. Let's just choose someone. Any, mini, mini, mo. No, we, we've planned that out. We've, we've put the structure in place. So uh, Joe Diaz uh, schedules some of the guys to do those things. And uh, Pastor Ron and I work on putting in song suggestions that then Joshua takes into consideration for the worship set. We have a baby dedication, and so we put that in there. We put them in there ahead of time so that we can plan. Why? So that we can do all things on Sunday morning for mutual upbuilding, so that we can build one another up. So then what Paul does from here is he begins to give uh, two basic examples of how this ought to work, and the examples he's using are the kind of flashpoints that he's talked about earlier in the chapter. That would be tongues and prophecy. How do these gifts that we know are for the common good, chapter 12, that are for upbuilding, chapter 14, how are they to be exercised in the worship gathering? So verse 27, Paul says really practically, here's how this is going to work. Verse 27, if any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. So in the example of tongues speaking, Paul places some restrictions, some regulations on how it is to be practiced. Two, at the most three, ought to be allowed to speak in tongues in the worship service. So there's a cap. Um, And unfortunately, um, this is not followed in a lot of churches. Um, If if you're ever at a church or ever watching TV and everyone is speaking out in tongues, your mind should immediately go to chapter 14 and go, wait a second. God, God told us how to do this. Why are we doing it this way? God gave us an outline for how to worship together. Why? Well, because a tongue is to be used to build someone else up. And if it cannot do that, as we're going to see, then it needs to be stopped. So, first rule for tongue speaking is there can be no more than three. The second rule is that they go one at a time. Each in turn. Um, so, They're not all going at once, which would be chaos. Um, There needs to be one at a time. This person goes, and then this person goes, and then this person goes. 
This means that there is a self-control and self-awareness of the person speaking in tongues. Okay, so oftentimes, um, tongues is presented to us as this ecstatic, uncontrollable, almost possessed-like um, speaking, where the Holy Spirit um, kind of takes over our mouths and we're not in control anymore. And that's absolutely not what Paul is teaching here in 1 Corinthians 14. Okay, let each do it in turn, which implies there is self-control over this gift. And the, the last point is that it must be interpreted. As Paul pointed out earlier in this letter, if it's not interpreted, it's no good. Okay, so um, here's two reasons why. Here's my Greek New Testament that I'm, I'm trying not to lose control. I, I'm trying not to lose my ability to read. Okay, so I thought, oh, I'll bring my New Testament, my Greek New Testament up here, and I'll uh, show myself to be a bad example of worship. And I'm not going to read it because that would just get distracting. Why would this be a bad idea for me to do right now? You, w- you wouldn't understand it. I mean, e- even for the few that do know Greek, it's, it's not spoken usually, so it's even harder to hear and understand. And um, what's another reason why I shouldn't do this? Okay, there's no interpreter. Um, and there's a very real sense in which I know Greek. <laughs> and, you, and you don't. You see, see how easy that is for pride to, to creep in? Paul's already mentioned this, and he's going to get out at the end of this chapter. The worship is not a place for us to, to brag, to show off. Um, and it's not a place to, to show off in such a way that won't be understood. So we, we need to be understood. We need to be um, able to build someone else up. If we cannot do that with our gift, then we need to stop or wait for another opportunity to do that. Okay? Um, verse 28, Paul says, you know, if, there, if there's no one to interpret, they need to keep silent. So if, if there's nobody with the gift of interpretation, and it's, it's questionable exactly how this looked. Uh, earlier in chapter 14, Paul pointed out that perhaps the tongue speaker himself would be given the gift of interpretation, would say what needed to be said, and then interpret it right after. Or it seems that others might be given the gift of interpretation and say, I understand what he's saying. Church, here's what he's saying. If there's nobody to do that, then the one speaking tongues needs to stop, which again points to self-control. That he was able, she was able to stop and to be silent and then to speak to himself and to God as you see there at the end of verse 28. Now in verse 29, Paul moves to the second example, which is prophecy. Okay, prophecy. Verse 29, let two or three prophets speak. So again, we have a cap. Two or three at most. And let the others weigh what is said. Verse 30, if a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. So a few principles here for for prophecy. Again, no more than three. I think verse 30 implies that it's one at a time. Again, one by one. There's not to be a cacophony of voices. And you're trying to pick one out and try to, I think I like that guy most, so I want his message from the Lord. It's one at a time so that we might build one another up. In addition, in a, in a prophetic way, we're supposed to actually evaluate. So the church is meant to evaluate what is said. The prophecy that is made needs to be evaluated. And the first way that we do that is we measure up to this book. Does this prophecy that's being stated, does, does it contradict God's revealed written word? 
And we need, we need to weigh that. We need to distinguish. The word could be judge or discern what's going on. And this is in addition to um, this additional rule, but it's actually kind of like interpretation of tongues. Um, it needs to be evaluated by the congregation. It says, let the others weigh what is said. Some would say that's the other prophets in the church. I, I think that it probably points to the church in general needs to evaluate what is being said. So how was that done? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not exactly sure how that looked. Did they have an immediate uh, feedback? Did they have Q&A? Um, did they wait until afterwards? Maybe during the week after they'd thought and prayed about it? Did they approach the prophet? I don't know, but there, there is definitely the sense of the evaluating what is being said and weighing it to see if it is from God. What's also helpful to, to note here is in verse 32, the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. And again, this goes against the popular notion that there's this ecstatic, uncontrollable um, speaking that it would apply to tongues and to prophecy. One scholar said this, Paul's description of prophecy is not one of ecstasy. Prophets can control whether or not to speak. Therefore, they can submit to order and yield the floor at will when God gives a new revelation, which is a little bit of a new wrinkle here that wasn't said in tongues. So the picture is this guy over here is giving a prophecy, and somehow someone over here, Joey perhaps, sitting in the front row, receives um, a, a revelation from the Lord and feels the need to share it. And if that's fresh, fresh revelation, then this guy is instructed to stop, take a seat, and now this guy comes forward. So the order is kept... And deference is given to the words of Paul to obey and to, to do this. Now, why is this to be done? Well, verse 31. For you can all prophesy one by one, not meaning that everybody there prophesies every single time, one at a time, because we already know there's been a cap of two or three. The point is that Paul's not to only a, an elite few. Paul is saying anybody who has the gift of prophecy can share. It just needs to be in order one by one. Why? So that all may learn and all be encouraged. This is why. That all may learn and be encouraged. So we want to make sure um, that there is an order so that people understand what is being said. In verse 33, Paul um, ends this section by saying this, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. So in your notes, Christian worship services should be characterized by peace, not confusion. Christian, Christian worship services should be characterized by peace and not confusion. If you've been with us for any amount of time, do remember some of the background on Corinth. Um, this is the Greco-Roman world. They're polytheists. There are temples all over the place. There's belief in folk magic. Um, and so what the Corinthians would have been surrounded by, indeed what they would have been saved out of, was actually a lot of ecstatic, uncontrollable, confused, chaotic worship of gods and goddesses. Remember we were talking about meat sacrifice to idols in the last few months? Well, involved in that worship, often there was prophetic-like things, tongues-like speaking was actually common in the Greco-Roman world. And so... Paul is making a distinction between the chaos and the, the, the utter confusion of pagan worship and saying, this is not how this is to be done in the Christian church. 
And this is what should separate us from many pagans and other practicing religions. It is an order given that there's peace. Um, that there's, there's the, the absence of conflict, but more than that, that there's this overwhelming sense of, yes, this is good and this is right and this is from God. Now, on the other hand, Paul is not actually prescribing a five-point service, right? He's not giving a liturgical order per se. So um, I liked what one commentator said. Paul's neither advocating stiff formality. This is the way it has to be done every time by this person all the time. Nor is he advocating undisciplined frenzy. So there's a freedom for the Spirit of God to work, and that does not negate our understanding of order. All right? All right, so peace, not confusion. This would have been obvious to the people in Corinth when they began to observe these people that had changed religions, that had followed this Paul, that when they attended or were curious and showed up to see what this worship was like, it would have been stark contrast to what they were used to. And, and another scholar points out, and you have this in your notes, the character of one's deity is reflected in the character of one's worship. The character of one's deity is reflected in the character of one's worship. And that is a very key principle for us to understand. Why order the service? Paul says here, because God, the God we're worshiping, the God we're gathered to proclaim and lift up and then go out into the world and tell others about, is not a God of confusion. He's a God of peace. Therefore, the worship of this peaceful God ought to be peaceful. The worship is from the God, and the worship is given back to the God in the way that he would want it. So, these other gods and goddesses were worshipped in frenzied, sometimes sexual, out-of-control ways, because that reflected the character of their God. So what happens when the Corinthians begin to go back to their pagan roots and worship Jesus Christ and his Father in, in the same way that they worshipped Apollo? Or Athena. Well, well, what they're doing is they're actually not reflecting the character of the God they're worshiping. There's a disconnect there. And, and we want to stay as far away from that disconnect as possible. Which means sometimes we need to rethink how we're doing things. We need to evaluate. We need to be open to constructive criticism. We need to think, is what we're doing, is the way we're doing things reflecting our God? Because if it's not, then we are in trouble. And we need to fix it. Because then what we say to someone who walks into this room on a Sunday is we're saying this is who our God is. Confused or disorderly or kind of, you know, flaky. And we want, what we want to say with our worship is our God is a God of peace, not of confusion. There's some debate here as we transition from verse 33 to 34. You'll see that most of your Bibles, the paragraph um, splits uh, verse 33 in half. So that, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, is 33a. But 33b starts a new paragraph, as in all the churches of the saints. And there's debate about where to actually stick that phrase. Some would actually put it at the end of 33. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Period. Um, the ESV, which I'm reading for, has placed it in the second paragraph, which I think is probably uh, the better placement for it. But this introduces us to point number two in your notes, the role of women in the discernment of prophecy in the church. The role of women in the discernment of prophecy in the church. 
obviously, this is a much debated passage. Um, a few biblical scholars have said, Paul didn't write this. <laughs> Someone just stuck it in there. The problem is, we, don't, we can't say that because every copy of every uh, of every copy of First Corinthians that we have has these verses in it. Um, so we, we can't just ignore this and go, oh, I don't know, it's too hard. God gave it to Paul. We, we must wrestle with this passage. So, 33b, as in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. Which is interesting that churches is in plural there, um, in the meetings, in the assemblies. Uh, in Greek, um, man and woman same word, husband and wife. So when you see this word, it could be women, it could be wives. We have to discern it by the context. So in verse 34, when it says the women, it very easily could be translated the wives. And we'll see how that plays into this. The women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak. What? Um, go back to chapter 11. Go back to chapter 11. Pastor Ron had the great privilege of preaching from chapter 11 on head coverings, which I note that many of you women have actually listened to what he said, because <laughs> he did not prescribe head coverings in describing what this is culturally and contextually. But one of the key points of that passage is in verse 5 of chapter 11. Every wife, again, you can see that could also be a woman, every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered. Every woman or wife who prays or prophesies where would that be done in the assembling of the church and prophecy does no good if you don't say it out loud so so what's the understanding here is that paul is not saying women can't prophesy or pray but in chapter 14 he's saying let the women keep silent in the church okay (laughs) well we've got a few options we've got a few options here um it's just a contradiction and paul forgot what he said I don't buy that. Um, Paul is, a, is an incredibly smart man. Um, he knows what he wants to say, and he says things on purpose. Um, we could say it was just added in there, and, it actually, and Paul didn't actually write that. We don't have, uh, we have no evidence to suggest that. So then what we, what we need to say is we need to say, if we believe that this is God's word, and that God, by the way, is a God of peace and not confusion, then there must be a way for us to fit these things together, which is what we pursue, we dialogue, we debate for the glory of God and the good of his people. So what, what's happening here? Well, it, it actually seems like he changed subjects really quick, right? Prophecy, tongues, women. What? Where did that come from? Well, if we're following, if we're following the argument and we're following the context, then we would probably be right to assume that this portion about women has to do with prophecy in the public gathering. And that's the position that that I'm going to come down um, on. What Paul is saying, uh, let's, let's read a little further. The women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Okay. It seems in the context, what we have here is we have Paul telling the people of God to evaluate the prophecies that are given. And though we don't have any mention of it here, we have plenty of other evidence from Paul's other letters 
that there were elders, there were leaders in the church who were to help order the, the worship service and the worship gathering. And those were men in the service of God. First Timothy 2 um, teaches us uh, that uh, women should not be elders or have a teaching role over a man. And I think that those things are related to this passage. So, I think that this is referring to women commenting on, out loud, in front of the congregation, the evaluation of the prophecy. It's not to say that they cannot participate, but the rightful place for especially a wife to participate in the evaluation of the prophecy is at home with her husband. Why? What's this passage about? It's about order in the worship service. It's about peace, not chaos, not confusion. And I think that is, that's key to remember that we haven't left this whole topic. In fact, we're going to get right back to it after this. Now, there, there are certainly some other things that are difficult to understand in here. Um, they should be in submission. This is the same exact word that's used in uh, Titus 2, um, in 1 Corinthians 11, in 1 Timothy, about, I mean, Ephesians 5, about a wife being in submission to her husband. And so that gives us a link. The trouble here is, as the law also says... There's no statute in the Old Testament law that says a woman cannot speak in public worship. So there's no specific passage that we can go to and say, oh, this is what Paul is quoting. He just says the law, which sometimes refers to the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. Sometimes it can refer to the prophets later on in the Old Testament. Sometimes it can just refer to the whole Testament. So now we've got to do a word study and a word search through the whole Old Testament and what we come up with is, is quite likely that Paul is referring to the order of creation because that is what Paul refers to in the head coverings issue in 1 Corinthians 11. And he also refers to that in, in 2 Timothy 2. He refers to the order of creation, God's purpose in creating man and woman. So the, the, the wife comes under the authority of her husband, this also comes into play. Perhaps a, a wife got up and prophesied and her husband got up and prophesied. Um, we're hoping for agreement here. <laughs> um, we're also hoping that um, wives in submission to their husbands do not question or shame their husbands in the public worship gathering. That would distract from the good order of the service. It would distract from the God of peace and not confusion. And in an honor-shame culture, it would be a horrendous thing to do within the family unit. Which is why, I think, Paul says, go home and discuss that at home. Figure out a way to do that in peace and con- not confusion. Do that orderly so that um, the, the distraction is not there during the worship service. I think that shame is a very important part in this. Um, there's so many places that we, that we could go here, but one last thing is, remember that people are meeting in homes. Um, in, in Greek society, um, the, the woman uh, kept the home. She was the matriarch. That was, this was her domain. So imagine the change in your house when your house goes from being your house to being the church building. And what changes in roles? Who's in charge? You're in, we're in my house, but, but now it's the church. It's not just my kids. This is, this changes the dynamics of how we relate to one another. And I think that's something that we're not used to. Um, we're, we're here in an air conditioned building that seats 300 something people. Um, it would be a lot different if we were meeting in your home. 
And so I think that, that all these things play into how the wives especially were to relate to their husbands in the public worship setting. Overarching thing here, right, is my title for the sermon, <laughs> Open and Shut, When to Use Your Tongue in Church or Not. And, and by the way, women aren't the only people told not to speak up at certain times, right? If, you, if, you ha- if you're speaking in a tongue and there's no interpretation, it doesn't matter if you're male or female, stop. Be silent in church. You're not contributing to order and to peace. So all of this comes under the rubric of how do we relate to one another in order and peacefulness as we gather together. Now, here's where I've got a great out. Next week, Pastor Ron is going to be wrapping up the spiritual gifts, chapters 12, 13, and 14, and he'd love questions on things you didn't understand or weren't, <laughs> or weren't addressed in the previous month. So, in all seriousness, um, if you do have a question, Pastor Ron's going to be kind of wrapping up the spiritual gifts next week. So, where do I land on this? I land that women are allowed to prophesy and pray in church, but in the evaluation of, the public evaluation of prophecies that women, specifically and especially wives, come under the headship and authority of their husband and need to keep silent in that evaluation so as not to shame their husbands, to shame the gathering of the church, which is a family, um, and to distract from the order and peace of the worship gathering. Okay? If you have questions about that or something and they didn't understand, please come talk to me afterwards. I'd like to be sharpened on that. Point number three. True spirituality recognizes authority in the church. True spirituality recognizes authority in the church. And, and, and clearly, this is related to what was just brought up. Because Right after mentioning women and what seemed to have been a problem in the Corinthian church of disorder and confusion, Paul then asserts his authority and mentions that if you are truly spiritual, if you have been gifted spiritually and you are in tune with God the Holy Spirit, then you will recognize authority and come under it. That is a true mark of a spirit-filled person. So in verse 36, Paul says, or was it from you? That the word of God came? I mean, he's getting a little sarcastic here. R- remind me, um, did, did the word of God originate with you? Did that, is that where everything started? Okay. Um, remember, he has a relationship with these people. He spent 18 months planting this church. He says another question. Or, or are you the only ones it has reached? Wow. You Corinthians. are the only ones in all the churches I've planted, the gospels going forward all throughout the Roman Empire. You're the only ones. That's incredible. Now, this reminds us of what Paul has dealt with earlier in the letter, right? The the factions, the divisiveness in the church, the pride of place. I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, right? Everyone's trying to get uh, one up everybody else. Paul is, is appealing to their pride again and trying to knock them down to size, urging humility. In verse 37, if anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual... He should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. So Paul says, listen, if you're a prophet and you're hearing from God, God's God's giving you revelation to speak to his church, then you, of all people, ought to recognize this is from the Lord. This, This commandment, and this may be referring specifically to the women instruction right before this, or perhaps to the whole section on regulations in worship, because it seems that they were out of control in a lot of different areas. Whatever the case, he says, you need to recognize 
That this is from the Lord. This is not just a suggestion. This is a command of the Lord. And this is a, a peculiarly apostol- apostolic authority. Paul can say this because he's Paul. Because the Lord Jesus appeared to him and gave him this authority. We ought to be very, very hesitant to use language like this. Don't say, thus says the Lord, unless, unless thus said the Lord. <laughs> Let's be really, really careful and cautious how we speak in this manner. Paul then says in verse 38, just kind of a, a judgment, a, a possible condemnation if someone is not uh, in line with this. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. I, I'm not sure I really like the, the language of the ESV there. What does that mean? Who is that guy? I don't, he's not recognized. That's not, that's not what it's talking about. Um, it very well could refer to not being recognized in the public worship service, right? So I've got something. Nope. You've disqualified yourself. That may be perhaps what it's saying. It also um, might be referring to what we call the divine passive. So look, look at the word again. Uh, look at the verse again. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. See how that's passive? You could say, um, God will not recognize him would be the active way to say that. So a lot of times we have this divine passive where it's suggested or it's understood that God is the one who's acting here. So perhaps it means, if anyone does not recognize this, God does not recognize. Um, that, that's condemnation. That's discipline. That's a warning. And we, we don't want to be in that situation, right? You don't, you don't want to be in that kind of situation where, where you're not recognized, you're not... Um, You're not heard from because God is in judgment over you. And this is, again, comes back to the point here that we need to know when to speak up and when to shut up. That we need to know when to open our mouths and when to close it, especially in the gathering of the church to promote order for the common good. Well, Paul closes out this section, point number four. Decently and in order is the rule for worship in the church. Decently and in order is the rule for worship in the church. After all of this is all this has been said, listen, Paul doesn't come away with this going, oh, tongues, oh. Look at he says. So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. See, Paul doesn't, Paul doesn't throw the baby out with the bathwater here. Paul doesn't say, well, they're abusing it, so just cut it all off. No, Paul's saying, do it right. He knows they can do this because the Spirit of God is in their lives. So if the Spirit of God is there, and this Spirit of God is uh, one who does things decently and in order, who's giving gifts for the good of the congregation, then they ought to be able to regulate themselves for the good of the congregation. So, earnestly desire to prophesy. Get after it, Paul says. Why? Because prophecy is really cool and you get like a medal for it if you have the most prophecies. 2015, prophet of the year. That's not what's going on here. Why? To contribute to the order and the worship of God in the church service. I don't know if you've caught that theme yet, but, but this is the point of this all. And do not forbid speaking in tongues. Well, that's easier now because now Paul's laid out, okay, only two or three at most. And it's got to be interpreted. And one at a time. Okay, there you go. That's not hard. Don't forbid speaking in tongues, but speak in tongues the way that God wants you to speak in tongues. Lastly, in case you missed it, verse 40, but all things should be done decently and in order. So again, we don't have um, a step-by-step, this is how every congregation in the world ought to worship God when they gather. There's not that 
amount of detail. But what there is, is there's a structure. There, there's a skeleton, okay, that we put the flesh on. Um, there's, there's parts of worship that we know, and we, we piece them together in such a way as to benefit this local body. So if next week, I'm, I, you don't have to do this. If next week, Ron gets up and preaches first, <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> well, the reason that we might do that would not just, well, probably not be just to throw everybody off. It might be. But the, the reason to do that would be maybe we've evaluated and said, maybe we need to, maybe the word of God needs to be preached first. Um, sometimes we follow the preaching with singing. Um, why? Well, because we're trying to, to contribute to all things being done decently and in order. So, in conclusion from this passage, what do we take from this? Well, as you hurriedly put your Bibles away <laughs> and get ready to run to the next thing, um, what are you going to do at the next thing? What are you going to do out in the breezeway? What are you going to do out in the courtyard? What are you going to do out in the gym? What are you going to do in your Sunday school class? Do you have a gift to contribute? Do you have a way to serve so that things might be done decently and in order? Are you going to benefit the common good with your spiritual gift? Perhaps that's how we ought to think instead of gathering all my stuff up and running to the next thing. Now, I know I am totally guilty of that. I've got to go teach the high school group. I gotta, hi, bye, okay. Did you see that new person? No, I was running past them. Sorry. Right? So let's slow down. Let's serve one another as we leave. Remember, these spiritual gifts have been given to us for the common good, to build each other up. So as we practice this, we must rely on God's grace. And then because God's been gracious to us, we must give grace to others as we try to figure this out. Okay, we're going to step on each other's toes. People are going to get elbowed. All right, let's, let's give grace as we try to work this out. How do we do this peacefully? How do we avoid chaos and confusion? And how do we do these things decently and in order for the glory of God and the witness of his church? That's what's at stake here. God's glory. Who is this God that these Christians worship? Boy, he's chaotic and crazy. I don't want any part of that. Or, wow, their God is, is peaceful. And isn't that, isn't that what our world needs? Don't we need a God of peace? This is exactly what we want to display to the watching world. So let's pray. And as we're praying, all of us are praying. As we're praying, let's consider how we ought to go from this place and practice these things. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to hear from you. Thank you that you have given us your word. We don't have to put our heads together and figure out how to do all this. Lord, you've given us guidelines and principles. You've given us rules and regulations for the purpose of exalting you when we come together. So Lord, give us wisdom and give us grace. Give us humility to consider what we can do better. How we can consider one another more than ourselves, how we can place the common good above our own wants and desires and preferences. Lord God, help Village Bible Church to be a church that is continually, that is constantly evaluating so that we might come together on Sunday mornings and reflect your goodness, your peacefulness to the watching world and to those who come into this place. So Lord, I pray for any who have come into this place this morning. Lord, where they have seen the ordering of this service, where they have listened to the singing, participated, where we have given to the work of this church and our missionaries around the world, 
where we have seen uh, baby boys dedicated for uh, godly lives. Lord, where we've seen the preaching of your word. May all of these things um, point back to you. May all of these things point to um, your peacefulness. And Lord, that God, that, that the way that we do things would not be purely pragmatic, but would be for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen.